I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish, in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. This is God's word. All right. If you guys would, pray with me one last time, and then we will uh, get cracking. Father in heaven, I thank you for, uh, for church. Thank you for this time, for this building, for everything that you've blessed us with. You are the, the giver of all good things. And so we, uh, yeah, just take notice of all the good things that we have and we express to you our gratitude. Lord, as we're here gathered, I pray for each individual person that they would be um, just marked by the Spirit in a way that they'd be able to hear what your word is presenting to us. And even that I, as the speaker, would be able to listen and be affected by this word because uh, I hope that it's a good one. And I pray that you would lead us and encourage us in a way that strengthens us to lean on you more and to understand how this tricky concept of sacrifice falls into our lives. So uh, please help us, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So in our scripture reading from today, which, uh, which Vi just read for us, we were reading from the, a pretty well-known passage from a book called Philippians. Now, just a quick, quick, quick uh, summary of that. So Philippians is a book from the New Testament. It was written by Paul, a key figure of the New Testament who wrote quite a bit of it. This all was, of course, taking place after Jesus had his ministry, death, resurrection, ascension to heaven, all that stuff. So you've got all these tiny books in the New Testament that are essentially letters that leaders have written to churches about a number of different topics. And Paul is essentially saying right before the passage that Vi just read for us that he had in his background the equivalent of a Harvard business degree and probably an Olympic gold medal and possibly a military medal of honor. He's basically saying, as far as accomplishments go on a religious scale, I've got them all. I've done the right things. I've got the right bloodline. I've got the right education. My experience, my background is pristine. It is enviable. Anyone who knew my pedigree would look at me with jealousy, is what Paul is saying. But he goes on to say, literally in the first words of our passage, but whatever gain I had, I counted as loss. Why is that? He says, in the context of his letter, everything that I had, all of these great, grand, enviable things, I actually count as loss, as garbage, is actually a word that he uses for the sake of knowing and being known by Jesus. His most noble accomplishments, 
his most prized possessions, all of them loss for the sake of Jesus. Now, loss is going to be a big theme for us today, which makes sense because we're going to be considering this idea of sacrifice. What are you willing to lose for Jesus? That's a question I heard a lot when I was a teenager, kind of getting into Christian spaces for the first time, going to, you know, Bible camps and uh, campus ministry stuff. I always heard, what are you willing to lose for Jesus? I heard a story about two dudes who uh, found out that there were a bunch of slaves who were going on a ship to this isolated island where no one gets in, no one gets out. And these two missionaries sold themselves into slavery so they could board that ship and ride to this island and preach the gospel. So they'd ask, are you willing to sell yourself into slavery for Jesus? It's a heavy question for a 17-year-old. It's a lot to consider. We hear stories about persecuted Christians all over the world living in these terrible conditions with AC-less churches, meeting in dry basements and, you know, just worshiping for hours and hours and hours on end. And it always led to the same thing. Somebody would look at me at the end of these stories and say, John, if they pointed a gun at your head, would you still follow Jesus if that meant your life? If it meant losing everything, would you follow Jesus that far? I'm just like, geez, man. Even, I mean, even, even in the church that I more or less grew up in, it was always questions like, are you willing to erase the secular music off of your iPod for the sake of Jesus? This is a real thing. We used to, they used to call it iPod baptisms. And they would take your iPod to the front by the altar and they would wipe it clean. And then they would download a bunch of like flame and Lecrae and stuff like that, which also illegal, by the way. They didn't buy this music. I almost guarantee it. So I don't know. You're trading one sin for another if you ask me. But there's always these questions. Are you willing to, to erase your iPod for Jesus? Are you willing to stop hanging out with your bad friends for Jesus? Are you willing to become a missionary in a, in a, in a swampy place with big mosquito nets for Jesus? And I'm just growing up like 20. I've been a Christian for half a decade. And I'm just like, just this Jesus guy is very demanding. These are some very hard questions to consider when I don't even know what to declare for my major and I'm still really interested in that Catholic girl I shouldn't like right now. That's what I was thinking about. Honestly, I should have sacrificed that for Jesus, but you know, we're still here, right? Sweetie, we're here. All right. <laughs> so, we're, so we're talking about, uh, about sacrifice today. And sacrifice as weighty and kind of religious sectarian of a topic as it is, is actually more than, as, as you could probably imagine, it's all over the scriptures. And the Old Testament, which is the big chunk at the beginning of the Bible, which is really the story of God's connection with his people that would be called Israel, there's literally a system of animal sacrifice, which is... Uh, 
more details to get into than we have time for today. If you want to ask more about that, I'd, ha- I'd be happy to talk after the service. But like literal animal sacrifice was a part of the system of worship that God had designed for his people. And if there's an easy why to that, to, answer, to make sense of, of why that thing would exist, it's really because it, it showed the people of God that there was a price that needed to be paid for their shortcomings and for their failures. And so you've got these people who for hundreds and then thousands of years are getting used to this literal process of taking animals to a temple and, you know, lots of blood shed and all things like that. And then you have this key figure of Christianity descending in the face of Jesus, the the word made flesh, God in human form. And Jesus comes to us literally calling himself the Lamb of God. And Jesus would become, as we would see, this perfect fulfillment of the sacrifice system that was started in the Old Testament. But he was not dragged to a temple by some, you know, Israeli guy. He laid his life down intentionally for the sins and failures and shortcomings of his people. And then also more tremendously had the power to then take his life back up afterwards. And all of this being done to restore the crooked brokenness in our world. And so now this idea of sacrifice is completed. There's no sacrifices that need to be done. We're not called to kill animals. We don't have to keep sacrificing, uh, you know, anything. But now the, the tone in sacrifice in the New Testament, which follows the life of Jesus, is different. Now we're called to be what the book of Romans calls living sacrifices. We're not called to sacrifice things or animals but we're called to sacrifice ourselves. And so it's not because we're not right with God. We're not sacrificing ourselves so that God would look on us with favor, but we're doing it as a way of reflecting the life and the actions of Jesus who lived out of this overwhelming sacrificial love. We're supposed to be filled and moved by that same kind of sacrificial love. The verse I mentioned, I'll I'll read real quick from Romans 12. It says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. And here's the thing. We, we all kind of understand that sacrifice is a necessary element of what it means to be a Christian. We know that sacrifice is at the heart of obedience, You know, everything that we've reviewed in this series that we've done, all of it has an element of sacrifice to it. 
And it's not just that we're sacrificing things. We're, we're sacrificing these smaller little loves that we have in our hearts. So when you think about prayer, if you want to pray, you oftentimes need to sacrifice this love that we have for free time. If you want to serve serving others, you often have to sacrifice a love for maybe energy or comfort. If you want to give as God calls us to give, we often need to sacrifice our love for things or for money. You know, ironically, if, if you want to work, you have to sacrifice your love for rest. But if you want to rest, you have to sacrifice your love for work. So everything that we're doing as believers has this air of sacrifice to it. And just to, to build out that idea, Jesus adds even more to it. Oftentimes, we kind of gravitate towards this, uh, this you know, very uh, let me carry your burdens for you vision of Jesus. But Jesus has some, has some heavy things to say about people who will follow him. Jesus says, you know, either you will hate the one or love the other. You can't serve God and money. So be prepared to sacrifice your bank account for Jesus. Jesus says, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, this person can't be my disciple. So relationships, sacrifice them. Whoever tries to keep their life will lose it. Whoever loses their life will preserve it. So your own self, be prepared to sacrifice. It's got a weird kind of vibe to it, if you ask me, but just bear with me. I'm going somewhere. So it almost looks like the Christian faith is actually more about what we lose than what we gain, right? I don't think that's the case, but that is how it feels sometimes. It's like we worship by giving things away, by telling God that these things aren't good, just cutting them off and throwing them into the fire. I mean, and if you look at history, like church history, which you guys know I'm a big fan of, we see people who take this approach. They say, shoot, if, if giving things away to God is how God likes me more, then hey, I'll, uh, I'll throw all my clothes away and I'll live in poverty. I'll, I'll never take another paycheck again. I'll, I'll start hitting myself over the back with this real sharp piece of cloth. If suffering is what it takes for God to look kindly on me, then, then maybe I just need to sacrifice more and more things. I remember when I was a kid, I, shoot, I was probably like 10 or 11. Um, I, I was a real anxious kid. I mean, I still, I still am a real anxious kid, but I'm taller now. Back then, um, I, I was always anxious about lots of things. And I remember one time my dad got like sick, but not like, uh, like sick in a, in a strange way where I just suddenly got this worry that he was going to just die. And there was absolutely no reason for this. He, he didn't need to go to the hospital. Nothing was actually wrong. But I remembered thinking like, uh, the, the internet was very new and I was like on like these little cool message boards for like video games that I liked, which I should not have done. My parents did not like this. And 
I remember praying to God. I was like, God, I'm afraid that my dad is going to die. If you save him, I will never go on another message board for the rest of my life. And the irony is, I thought that I could earn God's favor by taking something and sacrificing it. That was how I saw God's relationship to me. The more I'm willing to lose for him, the more he'll like me. And then we, we, we create this image of God. It's like the opposite of God the vending machine. It's not the God who wants to give us everything. It's the God who wants us to lose as much as possible. And then we start saying this, this phrase, and this phrase is going to bother me. And honestly, it's a phrase that I'm guilty of using, and I'm sure many of us are guilty of using in this room, and I'm going to say it right now. It's this phrase that I do not like. Take the world and give me Jesus. Take the world and give me Jesus. Burn everything else, but let me have God, and my heart will be glad let the world pass away and everything in it. It's got a weird vibe to it, like I said. I want you to imagine, um, I, I used an oak tree for an analogy a few weeks ago. I like that analogy, but I don't, I don't think I've ever seen an oak tree with my own eyes. I live in the desert. So we're going to use a different plant this time. Uh, we're going to use an ocotillo. Do we have an ocotillo? There we go. Yeah. It's very, very regional, very culturally relevant plant. Um, Ocotillos are native to the Southwest. That's all I know. I'm not going to start spitting facts about them. So even the kids are laughing at me. Jeez. <laughs> um, I want you to imagine, because we, before we, we imagined this, this big, powerful oak tree as the shade that we would be sitting under. This, this one, I want to be a little bit different. I want you to imagine that this Ocotillo represents everything that your life is about. Every single spindly winding branch of this Ocotillo represents something about you. One of them says work history. One of them says hobbies. Another one says my self-confidence. All these different things, every little piece that forms who you are is just represented in every branch of this plant. Now imagine that the day that you felt the call of the gospel on your heart, you walked Jesus into this little spot in the desert and you said, here I am, God. This is, uh, this is me. And he looks it up and down. And he says, oh boy, this is, uh, this is a little challenging. And he takes one of the branches and he cuts it off. And then he takes another branch and he says, yeah, this isn't going to do either. And he cuts it off. And he trims it to the point to where there's a single branch left. And he takes out a little post-it note and he writes Jesus on it. And he sticks that post-it to the branch and says, you, sir, are good to go. I think that's what's happening when we have this uh, kind of strange view of take the world, give me Jesus, right? 
Now, I want to imagine another scenario. Thank you, Ray. <laughs> Where same, same, same story. This is everything that you are, everything that we are, and we're, we're walking Jesus over. And Jesus looks at it, and he, he's, he's looking at each one very, very closely. And he's noticing that some of them are, are, are kind of rotting and a little dry. And some of them might not be very healthy. And he goes through each and every one of them, just kind of touching them and analyzing them and thinking about them. And he looks down beneath the plant and he says, oh, this is what it is. These, uh, these roots are, are really unhealthy. And this soil is really not conducive for this plant. So it makes sense why a lot of this is probably close to death. But I have good news. I can heal all of this. In fact, I think it's exactly what I'm going to do for you. And uh, this plant that I love so much, even though I just saw it, I, I think it's mine now. I think that we're going to take care of this plant together. But ultimately, I'm going to make sure that nothing happens to it. And I'm going to heal each and every single branch so that rather than death, you get to experience life. So it's not take the world, give me Jesus. It's give me Jesus, the world belongs to him. It's not take the world, give me Jesus. It's, it's give me Jesus, thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. It's give me Jesus and, and Lord, save us. <laughs> Have mercy on us. Change and bring life to where there is currently only death. We don't need this cold, nihilistic, fatal view of our lives. We don't need to cut away all of our relationships and the things about us and everything that we do and think about. We need to consider how Jesus is actually bringing life to them instead. I read recently about this dude named Francis of Assisi. He was such a weird guy, but I'm so interested in him. He, he had this deep fascination with the natural world. He was really fascinated with animals and with nature. He was just, he was confounded by the beauty of nature around him. He didn't say, God, take nature, this filthy thing, and give me only yourself. Instead, he actually saw nature as a beam of light that reflected the goodness of God. And so he worshiped the creator when he spent time with the creation. This dude was walking around and preaching sermons to birds, saying, birds, when you sing today, sing praises to your creator. He didn't need the world to be burned down and lost. He just wanted it to remember the goodness of God. 
So the, the question we have to ask when it comes to sacrifice is if our lives are trying to reflect the sacrifice of Jesus, what's, what was most valuable about Jesus' sacrifice? The fact that he died? Or the fact that he was the only person who's ever died and had the power to raise himself up back into life? So the points of sacrifice is not to bring us just to death. It's to bring us to the life that lingers beyond death. There's a lot of dead prophets out there. There's a lot of dead religious figures. History is full of dead people. The ground is full of dead people. But there's only one who had the power to lay his life down and then snatch it back. We shouldn't be looking for just the death of our things in order to bring worship to God. We should be seeing how God is bringing them into life. So it's taken a while for me to get to my definition today, but this is where I'm going to land. Sacrifice is love that endures great loss in anticipation of a greater gain. Sacrifice is love that endures great loss in anticipation of a greater gain. Think about the, 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 the topics that we've gone through this past series. When we have to sacrifice self to reconcile, it's painful, but there's life on the other side when we reconcile. Think about when, when you have to sacrifice time to pray. It's painful losing that time, but there's life on the other side. Think about when we have to sacrifice our comfort to serve others. It's painful, but there's life on the other side. Everything that God is calling us to lay something down for is always with the promise of life on the other side. When Jesus is in, in, in John 10, here I'll, I'll read this verse from John 10, 10, the verse that is you know, not always treated super well, where Jesus says, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. This is what he's talking about. It's not, it's not fatter bank accounts or that magic wands cure cancer. It's not easy life. It's rich life. It's meaningful life. It's life that's touched with the goodness of God. That's what it is. That's what he's promising us. There is death involved. There is a death to self. There is a death to smaller, more uh, self-seeking loves. But those loves are meant to give way to a greater love. And that's where we find life. Scripture talks about be thankful in all things. So when we want to grumble, when we want to complain, and we have to kill that desire to grumble and to complain, there's a death there, but there's also life in thanksgiving. There's life in being grateful. I mean, shoot, like, Scripture says a lot of stuff about sexuality and how we're meant to express ourselves in that way. And that's a big conversation in today's culture. And the difficult thing is, just like everything else, 
We're called to sacrifice it. Bring it to death so that God can actually sprinkle it with life and make it greater than what we had manufactured ourselves. The call of a Christian, the promise of a Christian, is that day by day, we're learning to die, not so that we can be dead. Jesus is not dead. Jesus is calling us to be with him, and he died and rose. So if we're being called to be with him, we shouldn't be doing things that send us to the ground. We should be doing things that call us to heaven with him in renewed life. And that's not easy all the time. It's actually really complicated. Because it's not a perfect recipe. We can honestly do everything right in sacrificing the things that we should not be lifting up and we actually may not experience the fullness of life that we hope for. You sacrifice your time because a relative that you struggle with is in an opportunity where you could serve them. And so you're beat, you're exhausted, you're in a bad mood, but you say to heck with it, I'm gonna choose life, I'm gonna sacrifice myself and do this thing for them, I'm gonna reflect the love of Jesus that is life-giving, and you do it, and they're not grateful, and they don't appreciate it, and you get into an argument, and you drive over a nail on the way home, and everything goes bad. That happens too, and that's a bummer. As much as there is life promised at the end, there's also a whole lot of sinful condition that can muck it up pretty freaking simply, which is a bummer. And as we remember that, we don't lose hope in the life that God is still offering us. We remember what we should always remember, which is that God is making all things new and the things that are challenging today will give way to something better soon and the suffering of this moment will pass into an eternal glory of joy and happiness and, I don't know, a lot of cool things I can only imagine. So we look back to Paul and we just read it again, hopefully with a little bit newer of an understanding when he says, but whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. And then the passage closed with this, not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. That's a great closing line right there. That's, that's a perfect little umbrella for us to package all of the things that we've talked about because honestly, the thing that kind of stinks about doing a series called Things Christians Do is it makes us think that that's what we are as Christians. We're doers. We just do things. We were pray because we're prayers and we... Uh, and we serve because we're servers. Like these are all the things that we do. These Christians, we do stuff. I think we take all of those things 
and we package them under this umbrella that says exactly what Paul said, that Christ Jesus has made us his own. He's like the Okatillo. He's like, oh, this is, this is mine now. I'm going to take care of this. I'm going to make sure it's well. I'm going to heal it moment by moment. And then one day in a flash. But I'm going to make sure this is, this is good. I'm going to make sure this is all right. That's, that's his posture towards us now. I'm going to make sure you're okay. I'm going to make sure you're all right. I want you to pray. I mean, like, like this, is, this is it. Like, like the... The, we can look at the, the list of things that we've gone through and actually turn it around as a mirror of, act, of in all actuality, the things that God does to us. Why does he call us to pray? Because he's communicating with us. Because he's speaking and he wants us to listen. Why does he want us to serve? Because he serves us every day. He fills our lungs with air. He gives our feet something to walk on. Like he is serving us every day. Why does he want us to forgive? Because we've been forgiven. Why does he want us to repent? Because he doesn't want us to fill our hearts with love towards something that's not worth it. All of these things are just guideposts bringing us closer to him so that he can show his care and love that he has for his people, for his children, for his little Okatijos. Yeah, that's all I got. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we, uh, we thank you for, uh, for the tremendous care and love that you have for us. We thank you that you have made us your own, that you have promised to take care of us, that you've promised to see us through to the finish line, that you've given us these things, this, this list of things to do because they guide us to you, but also as little mirrors that just remind us of all the things that you do, that you serve us, that you care for us, that you speak to us, and that at a time when it was most needed, you laid your life down completely and perfectly for us. And we can't return that in any significant measure. And you don't ask us to. You just ask us to sit under that big oak tree of shade. Just sit under these promises that our work is enough, that it's okay to rest, that all is becoming new, that, you are, that your grace is sufficient for us. So Lord, help us to sit under that shade. Help us to do the things that Christians do, not to earn favor, but because we know that you're taking care of us and we want to respond to that. So uh, thank you, Lord, for all that you are and all that you've done for us. In Jesus' name, amen.